0: A radio IDs on Europe, in partnership with UACs. For our weekly IDs on Europe editorial by UACES, the University Association for European Studies, we welcome Mathilde Roos again from the University of Augsburg in Germany. Bonjour Mathilde.
1: Bonjour Laurence. I hope you will, although we have entered the yearly high infection season.
0: (laughs) Yes, thank you for inquiring uh, on my health, which is anyway what you want to discuss today since uh, your current research uh, focuses on health issues, although not in a personal but the European context.
1: That's true even though health might actually be one of the most personal things that politics and law can actually influence. One idea to do so has gained traction in EU politics, particularly, of course, since the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic, namely the idea of a European health union. The current commission is eager to establish uh, such a health union. More specifically, it wants to, and I quote, uh, better protect the health of our citizens, equip the EU and its member states to better prevent and address future pandemics and improve the resilience of Europe's health system. However, what exactly a European health union would entail is still a little bit vague because different European institutions and countries have very different ideas and interests in this matter.
0: Based on your research on different national and EU health policies, uh, what do you think should be at the heart of uh, European health union?
1: Well, let me put it like this. We may not yet live in a European health union, but we certainly do live in a European health risk union, in which risks, both public and individual health, have come to enjoy a freedom of movement, which is aligned to the freedom of movement of persons, of goods, services and capital. If we want to be able to face such collectivised risk, we need more than a European health economy union.
0: Uh, And that uh, would mean concretely?
1: The abolition of borders and the introduction of harmonized standards in the areas of production, research and development, services uh, and workforce in the healthcare healthcare sector. And while this is an important part of the health union, it is not enough. It's also not enough to set EU-level legal standards in the area which the member states are then left to implement individually. Why not? Because understandably, the main target group of national level politics and politicians are their own citizens. However, when it comes to public health, we as a society are naturally only as strong as our weakest members. Thus, collective risk and resilience are determined by all members of society, based not on the name of a country in our passports, but on residents, be it short or long-term residents. A European health union which leaves policy interpretation to the member states effectively means that policymakers who understandably focus on their fellow nationals For reasons of re-election or other, that they will likely put second anyone with another or no citizenship, no matter whether they are EU or non-EU nationals. This also means that national-level implementation of EU-level health standards becomes prone to political instrumentalization, politicization, and different actors pursued of a wide variety of different political objectives. As a result, health rights of society outsiders, such as, for instance, migrants and refugees, are often restricted. This, of course, deepens divides between insiders and outsiders and increases not only these outsiders' vulnerability, but it weakens our collective resilience.
0: So how does that fit your concept of European Health Union?
1: Well, in order to minimize the risks that we collectively face, I would argue that we need a European Health Rights Union. This means a union which grants and guarantees to all its residents the same high-level rights and access to health and healthcare. In other words, we need not only the EU-level law, but also EU-level insurance of its implementation. The, and I quote, highest attainable standard of health has been declared a human right as early as 1946, and is also to some extent enshrined in Article 35 of the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights, which by the way, is legally binding. Yet national health systems, legislation, and policy implementation effectively restrict the formal health rights of millions across Europe. Many of them, many of them, sorry, belong to particularly vulnerable social groups uh, from a public health perspective. Every such vulnerability creates unnecessary access points for health impairment. Of course, I'm not naive. Access to health care of these groups is restricted by historically grown health systems, historically grown health legislation, both of which take a lot of effort and time to change. And I'm also aware that in our current times of political, economic and social poli crisis, demographic change, already strained healthcare systems and strained national budgets, guaranteeing high-level health rights for all may sound like a utopia. But considering the immense impact of both individual and public health on every aspect of our lives, our societies, our economies, I dare say it is a utopia worth pursuing. And the EU as a supranational governance system, despite its yet limited competences in the area of health and healthcare, is, I'd say, in a unique position to do so.
0: Many thanks, Mitchell, for sharing your idea on Europe with us. Uh, I assure you that the EU radio remains open for Utopias. <laughs> uh, and thank you for the baby, because he didn't cry. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm very, very happy. She just
1: started moving around. And, uh, uh, better, okay. Very far in the background.
0: <laughs> Next week, we will welcome uh, Natasha Stichinska from the Jagiellonian University in Krakow. <laughs>
1: Bye-bye. Okay.